Oh, my word, you guys. So you, <laughs> this made me chuckle. This dude stood there with a lint roller outside the bank, and he said, watch this. Watch how conditioned we are to do what we're told. And he just stood there and said, arms out. And everyone stood in front of him, put their arms out, and he lint rolled them. <laughs> All right, you're free to go. And then they would walk in. We're so conditioned. And I thought, now, is that mind control? Is that sort of group, sheepish mind control? Or is it that it's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll take a free lint roll. That's fine with me. I, I don't like... But, but it just seems so official. Like, it seemed like one of those batons to check you for guns and stuff. I, but it was just a lint roller. You should, we should do that. Oh, Rusty would do it. Cody would... If, if Cody and I went down to save a lot, let's see how many people we could get to happily submit to the idea of getting lint rolled. All right, spin. Spin for me. Excellent. Good. Good. All right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When you see people form a line and go through a step... You mentally go, I guess that's what we're doing. And then you just do it. You know? Then there's the rare person who gets real sassy and upset. I'm not doing that. What's this for? Who are you? What's, show me your badge. Show me your badge. Show me your badge. No, don't you touch me. Don't you touch me. Here's what's on my heart today, guys. Um, it's very easy to consider what it is to be a Christian, to have prayed a prayer, to be forgiven of sins, and then you got the whole God thing done because you know, okay, I prayed the prayer, I, I'm in, uh, done, project over, now I can move on with living my life. And you hear me say so many times that that's not Christianity. Christianity is us living the life we were created to live in union with God. So what, I, what I've noticed is those of us who, who, who say, yes, that's right, Tim, that's totally right. It's not a stamp on the head to get to heaven later. It's a relationship with a loving Father and a big brother Jesus and an indwelling Holy Spirit now so that this whole life is transformed by Christ. Those of us who know that, here's the thing, though. We still have a lot going on that, that needs help. You know, you ask a normal person, how are you doing? The American answer is, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And if you start to give a full answer, they seem to almost regret having asked. Because we're, we ask the question not really wanting to know, but we're really just saying, hi, I acknowledge you as a fellow human being on this morning. But if you start to answer, they're like, whoa, time and a place. I didn't contract to be friends I just want to keep you as a nice acquaintance and not be rude. Uh, if that's what you want to do, then don't ask how you're doing, by the way. Like, like we can, we, it's okay to say, hi, good to see you, if that's what we mean. There's a comedian, Ismo, I-S-M-O, and he's from like Sweden. He said it took him a full year to figure out that the correct answer to the question, what's up, is what's up. Because he started to answer with what was up. Well, I'm going to the uh, grocery store because I'm out of potatoes and uh, bread. So, and then they, he'd see their face go, oh, no, he's answering. Oh, so he find, it took him a full year. He's like, man, Americans, there's, there's, it's hard to figure your, you guys out. Because wh- why would you ask what's up when you don't really want to know what's, what, what's up? Ah, the correct response. What's up? What's up? Nobody's really asking. And if you ask a Christian, 
how you doing? Some Christians will give this very accurate, theologically accurate answer, but it's dodging the question. Better than I deserve. It's theologically accurate. I deserved hell, and I'm right here having a good day, all things considered. But here's, here's the question I have for you. Do you not relate to the idea that you have eternal life, you're the beloved of God, right? You're going to live forever. Jesus said you're never going to die. You wake up fully righteous and right with God, and it's not your fault. Oops. I done am loved. I just am loved. I'm just loved. You relate to this? Is this your gospel too? You just have 100% access to the Father because of what Jesus has done for you. And, and now you're not like earning God's love. You're just enjoying his love. And yet you still have bad days. Sometimes you cry all day. Sometimes you're insecure just with a simple interaction with a human being. Sometimes somebody on planet Earth scares you so bad you can't be around them. You feel you can't be around them. Sometimes you worry about your kids. Sometimes you worry about your spouse. Sometimes you worry about your health. Sometimes... You're afraid of the future, and sometimes your shame and regret from the past or what was done to you still is so scary, you don't even want to think about it, and you push it down, and you stuff it down, and you use coping mechanisms just like you did before you were a Christian. Anyone else? And sometimes you know that God actually wants you to feel your feelings rather than just have faith, brother. That sometimes having faith means letting Jesus in to what's going on in your soul, not denying it and not just quoting Bible at it, but entering in and feeling it as relationship with God. Anyone? So what is faith like? Faith is like Jesus being rejected by his friends. Faith is like Jesus being misunderstood by the very people he's here to save. Faith is like a party on the grass where people who, who are absolutely loved by God finally for the first time get it. Faith is so many wonderful things, and yet faith journeys a, a hard road too. Faith is de- death on the cross, and faith is resurrection from the empty tomb and hope we didn't even dare to dream could be true. Faith is like walking along Emmaus Road thinking everything is gone and no hope is left and it's over and we tried and we wish it would have worked and having the very God who we're sad is no longer good stand there in front of us and we don't recognize him. Faith is like that. Faith is a lot of different things, isn't it? This morning what I would like to emphasize is that some of us are still dealing with carrying shame and regret and fear. And in a culture of faith, which is what I want us to be, I want us to be a culture of faith, not a culture of fear. I want us to be a culture of grace, not a culture of striving. I want us to be a culture of mercy towards each other, not a culture of judgment and fixing. But we got to be able to admit Hey, I'm still partnering with fear. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet, it's not always easy to trust him, even though he's been trustworthy. 
Like, how are we going to break our agreement with fear if we can't admit that we've made one? Christianity is actually not fake it till you make it. Sometimes it's confess and ask for help in an environment where God's not punishing us for not being perfect. So Genesis 3 is where I turned when I first came up here. And you know this story really well, or you probably do. But if you don't, I want to read it real quick, okay? I'm going to read the very last section of of chapter 2, just for context. And the man and his wife, this is the kind of verse that little kids will giggle at, but old people will go, that is so profound. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And you can skate over that and go, that's weird. And by the way, oh my word, who was I just talking to? Was it you? You rented from some people who had a nudist colony? Somebody just did a, did a weekend rental, and the people were nudists, and they went back to get their... Um, it, was, it was somebody who was telling me this story recently. They did one of those weekend rent somebody else's bed and breakfast thing, and they went back because they forgot something, and there was full-on nudity happening because they were nudists. Help us, Lord. And the husband thought it was hilarious because the wife was in the backyard just laying around. And the husband thought it was hilarious. He, she, he said, I told you you'd get caught eventually. <laughs> but this has actual deep spiritual meaning, which is in the beginning, Adam and Eve were created with a perfect relationship with God. And there was no self-consciousness. They had a perfect relationship with God and each other. You could, God saw you as you are, and you weren't like, oh, no. Don't you look at yourself in the mirror and go, oh, and you try to pull in your stomach a little bit and flex your shoulders a little bit and go, oh, no. There's, oh, are there wrinkles around here? Don't you look at yourself carefully and go, oh, no, and measure yourself up and hope you're attractive enough? And if you're married, don't you ask your spouse for compliments? How do I look, babe? Does, do I look okay? When you go out in public, you don't even check. Do I look okay, babe? And she doesn't say, get a different shirt on. That one accentuates your belly too much. She doesn't do that. Well, mine tells me stuff. And I find it, I find it helpful. Like, I want to know, do I have schmutz on my face? Or did I, you know, is my pocket inside out? I want to know. Yeah, it's like, like this morning, someone on the team had a zipper issue. And that, that matters. But why does it matter so much? You want to look your best. You're hoping, that, you're hoping that people will see you and respect and like you and accept you, right? And we know how the world is. And we know how we are. We size people up like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear girl. No, not those pants with the weird lettering across the rear end. I don't think so. That's the wrong. No. We size people up so quick. And it starts really, really young. There's an age when little kids are naked and unashamed. There's an age when suddenly the thing comes online. We had one of our kids running around in the front yard regularly. It was just really hard to keep them contained or clothed or in the house. And we had neighbors come and like basically be very rude to us to say, get that kid inside. Do you not know where you are? You are not out in the wilderness. There's crazy people up around here, y'all. But a little kid isn't self-conscious. And in the beginning, we, because this is, this is not just Adam and Eve's story, friends. 
This is your story. In the beginning, you were created as the beloved to be loved with value that had you didn't earn it. There was no, kids, little ones can't do a thing to earn love. Why are the why do people love babies? Babies are not contributing to the family, are they? And you go, yes, they are. They bring more joy than you could imagine. You're right. But it has nothing to do with their work or their gifts. And I've never seen anyone go, oh, that's an ugly baby, and back away in horror. Not one time. I don't even know if I've ever thought that. <laughs> well, it's like kittens and puppies. Even like an ugly breed has cute... Like Sharpays and Pugs and... They're so ugly, they're cute. That's probably how the angels feel about us. Okay, so that's where we start, guys. That, that's who you are. You, and I want, I want us to really work on taking truth in deep. I have been formed by the hands of God. That's not a cliche. I have been formed by the hands of God. Like no matter how I got here, whether my parents planned to have me or whether I was an accident, whether I was a result of rape or sin or anything, makes no difference whether my parents loved me or sent me up for adoption or whatever. None of that affects the fact that it was God who created me, who knit me together in my mother's womb with incredible value to him, not for what I do for him, but because just like a family delights over a baby who cannot help clean up or pay the bills or anything or be entertaining, I'm loved because God made me as his child in his image in order that he could have me as his son. That's before sin ever entered the picture. That is core, fundamental identity truth from your Bible. And then this is what happened to all of us next. The serpent was crafty, more crafty than the other animals. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And the woman said, well, he said that we can eat from any of the trees except the tree in the middle of the garden And he said, we're not supposed to touch it or we'll die. Real quick, I just want to let you know, there's a gospel preached in America, all across America. Protestant preachers all across America are teaching this gospel that God gave a command and that the reason people died was as a punishment because we broke God's command. And so sin is rebellion against a cosmic ruler who demands to have his way And he made us to be his obedient little servants. And they dared have the audacity to rebel against him. And then he said, you know what? Now you're going to die. And he kicked us out. I really want you to pay close attention to what your Bible teaches and let what your Bible teaches shape your theology, not what your preacher preaches. I am not authority. Jesus is. And if Jesus is your authority, his word is where you figure out what his authority is saying to you. Don't ask me 
to decide for you what to believe. Like one guy comes to me, well, do you think it'd be okay if I did this, this, and this? I said, it doesn't matter what I think. Read the relevant Bible passages and then live out what you are convinced it means. Because on judgment day, you will not stand before me. And Tim told me it was okay, isn't going to cut it. You'll stand before the one who formed you, the one who spoke to you through the word and, the one, and your conscience, and, and he'll say, what'd you do with what I gave you? You stand alone. I stand alone before Jesus. Uh, it's so weird, though. We were like, uh, what, what's the majority opinion? Does it matter? You want to be in a whole, like Jesus said, the wide road of destruction, the way to hell is a super highway with like 10 lanes, everyone going 80. I doubt it. They're probably going 30 in crazy bogged down traffic, everyone whining at each other. Like me on my way to Robeth Beach, on, oh, going through Georgetown's roundabout on nine, following somebody who's going 40 and a 50. Okay, let's calm down. <laughs> the point is this. God says, hey, there's a poisonous tree in the garden, and if you eat it, it, it will do something to you. I don't want that to happen to you because I love you. Not, I'll kill you if you disobey me. Guys, that is a lot of Christians' vision of God. And then they think the cross is the only way God can bring himself to accept us now that he's so disappointed and angry. So the vision is Jesus saving us from his Father. Guys, that's not the gospel. The gospel is sin comes on us when we take this, this fruit in our hand and we eat it. Sin and death are one thing, two sides of the same coin. Jesus takes our sin and death on himself in the cross in order to kill it, to put resurrection life back in us like it was at the beginning. Jesus isn't saving us from the Father. It's the Father saving us through Jesus from sin and death. God said you can't eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden and don't even touch it or you'll die. But the serpent said, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And I've told you this so many times, that warlock that I talked to on the streets of Columbus, dude wearing a big old black robe and carrying a staff and presenting himself as this important figure, like a male witch. Is that a warlock, right? And he says, my father, the devil, told the truth. Your father's a liar. Your father said, in the day you eat from the fruit of the tree, you'll die. But they didn't die. My father said your eyes would be opened and you'd become like God, knowing good and evil. And that's precisely what your Bible says. My father never lied. Yours did. And I wish that I could have thought. You ever have those conversations in the shower that you wish you would have had in real life? Do you ever wonder why we spend 80% of the time in the shower having anger fantasies? And only 20% washing. No, you don't do that? But I mean by an anger fantasy is something happens and then you're like, ah, I should have said this Ah, next time. Oh, man. Then you, no, I'm really glad I didn't say that actually because that wouldn't have been good and that would have definitely escalated the conflict. But that's why it's better to have those anger fantasies in private instead of impulsively do it in real life. Because then you can say, yeah, that would have felt good for a moment. But when he was gone... I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Actually, actually, no, they didn't physically die. But something died. Something died. You know what died? Who said that? Innocence died. Because we weren't created perfect, friends. We were created innocent. 
say the church fathers like Irenaeus. We weren't created perfect. God didn't require perfection. He just wanted relationship. Everything that we would have needed, he would have provided through our union with him. Anything we needed to know. He's the one. See, the knowledge of good and evil is not bad. It's just God's. It's too much for us to handle. And when we become educated way beyond our level of growth, then all that gap in between our growth and our knowledge is used incorrectly. In other words, if I know more than I love, then what I know will be used not in love. And they were down here, little babies. And now we take the fruit, and now I know all this. And what does it do immediately? Let's read. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, notice she went from hearing and obeying what she heard to living by sight. Faith in what God said versus sight. We walk by and not by. This is when that reversed. Right here in this verse. And it's not just, and don't be mad at Eve as though you wouldn't have done it without her. The story's about you, not her. It's what you and I did. Yes, we did it because of her. Yes, I get it, and him. And yes, it was a marriage role reversal as well. Where the heck was Adam? You're right. You're right, babe. Where the heck was Adam? Right? Because God gave Adam the command before Eve was even made. So how's come he's not in the picture? And how's come he's not saying, girl, no, hey, friend, uh uh-uh. We ain't doing this. No, he was with her and followed her leadership instead of protecting her. So there's some messed up stuff there, which is why then, okay, let's keep going. So she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was to be desired to make one wise. So she said, okay. She took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then, verse 7, their eyes were opened. Oh, that is interesting. Open to what? Something they should have never seen. They looked down and suddenly, for the first time, they judged themselves. And they said, "Uh uh-oh, gross. And they looked at each other and said, it's your fault. And they looked at God and said, I got to get out of here. That had never happened, guys. They had never looked at themselves with shame, looked at each other with judgment, and looked at God with fear. It hadn't happened. And in the moment that their eyes were opened, it suddenly did happen. And it's been happening to you ever since. See, they didn't just fall one time. The fall is not something that's past tense. It's still falling. It's falling every day. And it's even falling in the life of the believer. Which is why I started the way I did, by saying, hold on, guys. We're not in heaven yet. So faith looks like something now. And it looks like we're still in a process of having the effects of the shame and the regret and the judgment and the resentment and the fear 
restored back to innocence, we're learning. Our minds are being renewed. Our souls are on a journey. Our spirits are 100% right and righteous. But our bodies are wasting away. Now, are you saying there's no healing for us, Tim? No, there is healing. But even Lazarus still died. I sometimes joke, he came back from heaven so he could pay a few more years of taxes and then die again. I'm joking. I bet he was glad to be back because there was still assignment. There was still life. There was still destiny. There was still legacy. But think about that. He shows up and right away the religious people want to kill him because he is the evidence that Jesus has power and they don't. And so, says, I think it's John's gospel. And so they were like, now we've got to kill him too. <laughs> Lazarus is like, I didn't do nothing. I was just laying there. What the heck? It's good. That's good stuff. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. See, they knew. They knew. See, there's knowledge not meant for us. We, we don't read this so we know what's the right way to do things. We don't, in other words, to justify ourselves that we're the right people and those other people are stupid. We don't even read this so that God will accept us because we performed well. We read this because that's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We read this to know him and to become love as we grow up in union with him. We memorize this to know him. Not so that we can go, I memorized the whole book of Galatians. Which I tried to the one time, Danielle and I were talking about that because it's so good. Galatians is important. If you have a religious upbringing and you're still trying to break out of it, Galatians might be your magic pill. The Holy Spirit can say, take the red, is it the red pill or the blue? Stop it, Tim. But you're not memorizing it so that brownie points happen in heaven because you're not fixing yourself. You might read it to allow Holy Spirit to take the truth that I am righteous in Christ apart from works of the law and I'm a son of Abraham because like Abraham, Genesis 15, verse 6, and Abraham believed God and God said, righteous. Imperfect in so many ways. Remember the time he told his wife, he told his wife to lie and say that they were sister, that he was sister, they were sister and brother, because he was scared Pharaoh would be like, ooh, that girl looking good. I'm going to kill that boy. And she was like 80. Bro, she must have been extremely hot if at 80 you were afraid of being murdered. Plus, who wants to sleep with the guy who murdered your husband to get you? That's a weird date. How you doing, baby? You killed my man. I don't know, but you're looking good. No. My point is, Abraham was, he was kind of cowardly right there. Tell, 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 him you're, tell him you're, lie to him. There's so many situations in the Abraham-Sarah story where they're not walking perfectly. That's just one small example. There's a bunch. And God says, that's not how I saw the story. I saw the mustard seed of faith. And I moved the mountains for him. Righteous, perfect, as just as if they, just like back in the garden. The eyes were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So, bro, maybe that's not enough, but okay. But Tim, it's hot there. Okay, I get it. 
Verse 8 is a huge verse. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Friends, do you hear the sound? See, one, one day, one day, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, and they said, oh, here he comes. And the next day they said, oh, no, here he comes. He didn't change. I'm just telling you right now, and I'm not saying this to try to be mean, the gospel I heard growing up was that we sinned and God got so enraged he had to murder somebody or he could never accept me. Yeah. In fact, he had to murder the only innocent person who ever lived so that I would trust him. But guys, that's broken. That is, yes, the blood of Jesus is necessary and yes, he died to save me. But he didn't die to save me from my father. He died to take the sin off of me so that my sonship could be restored to me so that I could come home to a father who is not the problem in the equation. Because he shows up on schedule, on time, and he says, Adam, let me read it. Come on, Tim, read it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Sorry, that just triggers me in a positive way because that's my life. I walk in the cool of the breeze with the Father every day. Amen. Days where it's hard, days where it's fun, days where it's boring, days like I live a normal life, like I said, like any other man, but I walk with him. Amen. They hid. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? It would be an interesting study to just take questions the Lord asks people in your Bible and put them and just put them on a piece of paper real big. Just where are you? Just just the things God says to the saints in the Old Testament. They're so gospel by the way. Like we talked about this on Wednesday. Moses approaches God in the tent of meeting and Moses says to God, you've said to me that I'm with you and you've said to me, I called you by name. You've said to me, I will give you rest. You've said to me that I'm going to take these people and I'm going to deliver them into the land of promise. But you haven't told me who's going to go with me. And God didn't get offended. But look at all those promises, 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 promises. And I said on Wednesday and I'll say it again. Every one of those promises belongs to you. They're your promises, Rob. It's not an Old Testament written from dead people. Because they ain't dead. And it's the same God like Jacob and I were singing today. It's the same God. You know me by name. They're, hi they're suddenly hiding and he calls and says, Where are you? Now, come on. Is there information God is lacking? So who, whose benefit? Why, if God asks you a question, is it so that he gains the benefit of gaining information? Or is he asking a question so that we think about the answer to that question? Where are you? Where are you? I'm, I'm right here. I'm all in. I'm on, I'm on schedule. 
And I think this is so important. It's so important that you know you were formed in your mother's womb by the, by the, by the hands of God. And when you sinned and walked away, it didn't change his view of you. In other words, your view of you changed. I bet, I bet, if you'll come home and let his love all the way in, he'll remove the shame. I I bet if you learn to stick real close to him, the thing you hate about you will change. Not just the guilt, but the power of sin can break. But it's so important to come home and receive his love. Because I'm telling you, younger brother, Luke 15, comes home and says, I don't deserve your love, so I'll just serve you. I'll just be your servant. I'll just be your slave. I'll just pay you back the rest of my life. Just let me serve you. Just let me be a servant. Just let me get busy doing. Let me earn it. Let me earn it. Let me pay back what I owe you. And God slaps the apology out of his mouth. Stop apologizing. Sometimes I really think that the the, the, our, our confessions of sin to God are us rooting ourselves in more in a false identity. I'm a sinner. 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 I'm so sorry. Don't confess you are a sinner. Confess your sins. Separate yourself from the sins by confessing them and repenting of them. The more you confess that you are this thing, oh, I am a judgmental person. I am so mean. I am so lazy. I am whatever. I'm like, you're rooting yourself in a shame-based, sin-conscious identity. And that's where religion comes from. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and religion was born. Suddenly now we have sacrifices. Suddenly we have priests. Suddenly we have temples. Suddenly we have special places where we have to seek God. And then the whole Old Testament sacrificial system is God's way of dealing with the shame that causes us to run and hide. It's about cleansing the conscience of the worshiper, says the book of Hebrews, so that we can draw near to worship. Because God is so not changed. His nature didn't get destroyed when we sinned. It messed us up. Where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God asked, verse 11, who told you you were naked? You shouldn't even be able to know that. You can't know that. The only way you can know that is the next question. Have you eaten from the tree? I told you don't eat from it. And guys, ever Since then, humans have been rooted in that tree. Fear and regret and shame. There's a song that I thought about singing for you this morning. Uh, Maybe I will soon, like one of these days. So the song is called Scarecrow. And the first time I heard it, I was like, that is a weird song. Why are we singing about birds and scarecrows? And 
And after about the fifth time, it got in my spirit. And I started to find myself resonating so deeply. And so here's the principle of the song is the metaphor is that in our life, there are scarecrows in the hard things of life. And the scarecrow is designed to chase away the bird from the food. So in all life, we can choose to follow that deep inner voice of the Lord. Or we can choose to follow that voice of fear. And so, yes, we're now, we know God, we're forgiven. But as we're journeying in the life of faith, we're still in process. So the first verse is just identifying, you know, that there's a scarecrow living in or standing in a farmer's field and what he's guarding has not been revealed. And you can't find nothing that's been found before, but I won't find nothing if I close that door. I was recently praying with somebody in one of those little sessions that I do, and they were carrying so much shame for having hurt someone they love that they won't even say that person's name. Can't even bring themselves to name it. The pain is too great. And I could tell they feel that it's their, it's, they deserve to suffer and carry that, and that if they won't carry that, their happiness is at the expense of this person they hurt. Does that make sense? Like, I should have to suffer the rest of my life because if, if I can hurt somebody like that and then I still get to be happy, that's not fair. And so they're holding on to that, and we could not, I could not get that guy to be ready to open that door, name it for what it is, and let Jesus defang the shame. And so Jason Upton is saying, I can't find nothing that's been found before, but I won't find nothing if I close that door. And then here's the chorus. If I were a bird, if I were a foolish bird, I'd listen to my fear and fly away from here. But if I were a bird, if I were a wise bird, I'd listen to my heart and find the treasure waiting in, a f- in the field. And then here's my verse, the one that I've just been weeping with. There's a scarecrow living in my memory. Right? I'm at the age where I've, got, I've seen enough. I've done enough. Now I've got an accumulation of memory. And they can almost turn into anchors that drag you down and limit your life. And then you build up walls to protect yourself from hurting others and hurting, being hurt. There's a scarecrow living in my memory. It just hangs around and stares at me with eyes that look but cannot see. It's providing no understanding. It's providing no insight. It's providing no, no benefit except to scare me and hold me down. There's a scarecrow living in my memory. And then the bridge, everybody leaves the garden. See, that story's about every one of us. Everybody needs a home. Everybody's scared of dying, but no one wants to roll away the stone. Now, that has layers to it. Live with that lyric for about two weeks and then come tell me what it means. Everybody leaves the garden. Everybody needs a home. Everybody's scared of dying, but no one wants to roll away the stone. And then he says, go on, roll away the stone. But Lord, no, but Lord. There's so many but lords when Jesus tells us to roll away the stone. Then there's final verse. There's a scarecrow everywhere the church bells ring. Man, I'm telling you, there's a demonic strategy to get people to not, not be a part of regular, boring, normal church. Because regular, boring, normal church is a miracle. A miracle. 
It's where the grace happens. There's a scarecrow everywhere the church bells ring. We're terrified of the gifts she brings, but you can't change nothing without suffering. And even scarecrows need to hear the songs we sing. Well, there you go. A weird song about scarecrows and birds. But not about scarecrows and birds. It's about fear. Why don't you stand up? Prayer team's going to be up here at the front.